and it's the Shekilola Salami Show, a virtual cafe podcast, and I'm in London, and the weather seems to be going quite gloomy again. Earlier on, it was quite sunny. Um, I keep saying I wouldn't talk about the weather, but seriously, what else can we talk about in London? It's just tea and coffee and, you know, fish and chips, and yeah, it's really boring. I've not been to the museum anytime soon with my daughter, so we really need to change that. Um, and if you remember from like two weeks ago, or however long it was, when she came in and she was lamenting about how she wants everyone to come to her birthday. So we're almost at birthday dates yet. So, you know, we're still, we're still planning um, on that. Um, anyway, so who have I got today? Hello, everyone. I am Lisa Sabaniak. I am a success coach and motivating, motivational speaker. <laughs> um, and you can probably tell from my accent that I'm also Canadian. And I also am a survivor of 10 years of child abuse, both uh, sexual, physical, and psychological. And I do all of my work with my coaching and my speaking all around empowering women to find their personal purpose after abuse so they can build the life that they deserve. And since we are in our virtual cafe, I'm going to order myself a chai latte. You're not very imaginative, are you? <laughs> no. Well, chai latte for me is actually really imaginative because I'm one of those people that would have walked into a Starbucks about 10 years ago and looked at the menu and would have been frightened and just would have walked right out when I don't understand how to order any of this. It was a friend of mine that just surprised me one day with a chai latte and I made her write the whole order down on a piece of paper so that I could go and order the same thing again a week later and not make any mistakes. And never since it's been my drink of choice. It's a little spicy like me. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. That's that's good to hear. So we'll get, you know, our futuristic cafe to drum up a nice um, chai latte for you. Um, I guess, you know, you're kind of British in the sense because when I've had Americans come in the cafe, um, well, this was in the past. They've No, I haven't had anyone ask me for something I've never heard of before. So <laughs> that's all right. Because before they used to come up with really weird things. I'm like, whoa, what is that? So I actually had to go and Google it. Um, so it's fine. You know, you Canadians, you're like, you're like our sisters. So it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, it's true. We'll get you your chai latte. Um, Thank you. So, so the first thing that comes to mind, you know, I'm sort of listening to your, you know, to your introduction when you were introducing yourself and several things, <laughs> sexual, physical, and mm -hmm. psychological. Yes. When did all of that start? So it started when I was two years old with the psychological and the physical abuse. My earliest memories are, are of that. Um, and it was my now ex-stepfather. So he was introduced to me at that age and it just started right away. And um, the first sexual abuse experience that I know of is waking up when I was nine years old to find him in my bedroom, um, sexually assaulted me. So he used to um, tickle the bottoms of my feet to see if I was sleeping or not. And so over the course of time, kind of waking up while this was happening, I was able to piece it all together. But my earliest memory was nine years old. So I have no actual idea if it was going on before that or not, which is really scary. It is. It is. I think that's any mother's 
biggest fear, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did you tell your mom or not? No, you know what's really interesting is that um, obviously I've had lots of conversations with my mom now as an adult um, about it. And she did find out when I was 12 and we left immediately and, and, you know, she got me into counseling and, and did all of the right things there. But, you know, people always ask me, you know, two questions, you know, one, did, did my mom know? And two, you know, did I tell her? And, you know, she was, she was living in the seventies, to 80s in that time frame in a time when it wasn't really acceptable to be divorced and there she was divorced and she had somebody that was you know in her eyes willing to date her even though she had a child and um, and she just wanted to make him happy and she was a different person than what she is now and he was doing all of these things behind closed doors so she didn't see any of this stuff um, and the things that she would have seen, she would just brush aside or take his word for it if he said we were play fighting or something. But it never occurred to me as a kid to tell her because all of the adults in my life seem to have all the answers. They seem to know everything, right? When you're a kid, especially back then before the internet, yeah. you would go to an adult and you would ask them any question under the sun and they would have an answer for you. Right. Like you, you had no idea if the answer was correct or not, <laughs> but you, you just trusted that they, that was the answer, right? That was a given. They said it, so it must be. And so they also had eyes in the back of their heads, didn't they? Like I had so many memories of, you know, rolling my eyes behind someone's back and then being like, I saw that, but they weren't even facing me. How did they know? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you think they're superheroes is basically my point, right? You think that they know everything. And so it didn't occur to me to tell her because I thought that she knew. I thought my friend's parents knew. I thought all my teachers knew. I just thought that nobody was saving me because I wasn't worth saving. Oh, wow. Yeah, deep, right? <laughs> but so true. It's like, I'm just... Uh... You know what, you know, whoever invented the internet, that's probably, in some ways, that's probably one of the best that a person has done for humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how did you, when did you decide to tell your mother? So this is a really interesting story. <laughs> Um, I didn't tell my mother, um, an outsider told my mother, uh, somebody that my mom worked with at, uh, you know, her big organization, Procter & Gamble, that she was working with at the time. Um, somebody that she was just an acquaintance with. She had never invited him over to our home. He had never, you know, met my stepfather at that time, never met me, didn't have any contact with us as far as we knew at all. And he approached her one day as she was walking across the street and he pulled her aside and told her that he had a vision, that he had had a psychic vision that this was happening to me. And my mom did not know what to do with that information. Obviously, was really shocked and taken back by it. So she came home that night and it was just me and her, luckily. And she just tried to approach it and say, you know, there's this, this gentleman that I work with and he happens to be psychic. And, you know, of course, me, like, what's that? And, <laughs> and so, you know, she's like, well, he can see 
things or she didn't quite know how to explain it. She, you know, to the point, Lisa, um, this is what, this is what he has seen. Is that true? And my first reaction was to think to myself to say no, because I was going to be in trouble. And then I caught myself before I said it. And I thought, this is, this is your chance. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what a psychic is. I don't know how he knew, but I am finally going to tell. And it was also in that moment that I realized that she didn't know, that somebody else had to actually tell her. So it was a really eye-opening moment for me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was saved by a psychic, basically. I know. I know. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? I know, I know. It was like my brain cells, you know, just, <laughs> just doing. Okay, yeah. right. So yeah. something that I want to know, right? They say that when something is going on with a child, yeah. that you would notice a change in behavior. Yes, absolutely. And I was a, a teacher for five years here in the UK and, and every year we would have to do training on this, on how to spot the signs. And I have a real issue with this because um, it's assuming that the abuse has just started, right? Like if you, so if, if we leave, you know, any of our, of the viewers that might be listening, um, if we leave their own kids out of it for a second and, and just think about their friends maybe coming over, you've only known them for a certain period of time. Certainly as a teacher, you've only known your students for a certain period of time. So if that abuse has already been happening for many years or even many months, you may not know them any different from the changed person they are already presenting themselves to be. So you will miss the sign right? If it's your own children or somebody that you've been around for a very long time, then, then yes, there are definitely signs to look out for that they have, have changed, right? Particularly their dialogue that they seem to be using, their internal dialogue that seems to be showing itself. If they were um, really outgoing before and now they seem to be quite sheltered and protective, they seem to be kind of looking for um, acceptance before they speak, whereas before they were, you know, perfectly fine to give their own opinions and whatnot. And of course, taking into account this horrible thing called puberty, <laughs> right? Because that obviously has some, some effect on their, their attitude and their behavior and, and whatnot as well. But <clears throat> for teaching, I know that we were always trained to look for the bruises, look for, you know, that, that real change in their personality. And I was the, always the one that would speak out and say, but if you've got a sadistic abuser, then they're not abusing out of passion. They're not hitting the child because they've lost control of their anger. They are hitting the child to be sadistic, which means that they know not to hit them in a place where others are going to be able to see, which means they will be very um, um, specific about where they target on that person, right? So you're not going to see a black eye. You're not going to see even a bruised shoulder because that could be exposed while they are in their PE kit, for example. <sighs> okay. You see, as a parent... This is yeah. one of my biggest fears. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a step-parent now, and it's my, 
my biggest fear, right? I've got two, two stepsons and they are starting to go through the whole puberty thing. And so of course their whole attitude has shifted and I can't help, but you know, that there's that huge part of me that is looking out for who might be hurting them <laughs> when, you know, they're, they're just going through puberty. Everything is okay. But I think, you know, being vigilant like that and keeping in mind that sometimes it's not just that. And, you know, even a little bit of schoolyard bullying can have a huge effect. Right. And so I think it's just important to try to have that dialogue open and, you, you know, like learning now and, and looking back when you were a kid and, and realizing, yeah, kids do think that the adults all have the answers. So, yeah. and they all know everything. So why would they think that they would have to tell you? So make that time to sit down every dinner hour or, you know, whenever it is to have an open conversation and ask how their relationships are going with their friends and allow them to talk about, you know, what seems like petty little disputes and things like that, where you take their side and you build up their, their confidence and, and let them know that if they are ever coming to you with something that they think you will judge them on, that you still love them. And you're still there to support them and you'll still give them big hugs and right. And, and just make sure that they've got the, the space to be able to talk about something. Yes. No, that is, that is, that is, <sighs> I'm sorry. It's not because I'm tired, but just, <laughs> it's, it's a lot to take in, um, it is. you know, and I'm just thinking of all the single mothers out there, you know, when yeah. they hear stories like this, it is really frightening because it's like, does that mean you should never date again? Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. if this person, you know, has got the, is a monster in disguise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It really, it really starts tugging on that whole kind of belief system that you, you have within, right? Am I, am I a good enough judge of character? Would I be strong enough to recognize the signs? Would I be strong enough to do something if I did recognize the signs, right? Like we've got all of that kind of internal dialogue where we, where we do second guess ourselves and we think, oh my God, what if I wouldn't? What if I wouldn't notice? Yeah. Right? <sighs> okay, so, right. Um, okay, so how have you been coping with everything that's gone on from when you were two? That's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm 44 now. <laughs> so it's, it's been quite a long time. I did not deal well at all when I was in my teens and even through my 20s. I, um, we left him when I was 12, but his um, psychological abuse with me was to always tell me this kind of recurring loop mantra of his, which was that I was ugly, stupid, worthless, useless. Nobody was ever going to love me and I was never going to amount to anything. And so after we left him, I was safe from physical and sexual harm, but I was not safe from that mantra. I tell you, I repeated that every day, all day for at least another decade, if not two. Right. It just it was a really deeply rooted belief system that I had developed because of his words. And so I had to go through a, a really a huge process of really identifying those beliefs, identifying where they came from, that it was somebody else's words, somebody else's actions. And I had to rewrite the script. I had to teach myself that that wasn't true. I had to look at each one of those and find the evidence for them, spoken like a true scientist over here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I had to find the evidence one way or the other. 
So I would just look at them one way, one, one at a time to try to determine, am I ugly? Am I stupid? Am I useless? And one by one, I was able to, you know, dispel the myth, rewrite the script and, and find my own strength. And so now my biggest challenge is with dealing with all of my clients who have, you know, a whole range of stories that they are bringing to the forefront with me in our coaching. And, you know, some of them trigger my own memories. Some of them, you know, I, I empathize. I'm a huge empathizer. And so, you know, I can't help but put myself in their position, right? And I really have to work hard to keep my energy my own and allow them the platform to speak their truth and go through their process of healing without taking it on myself. Okay. One last question um, from the past, just because again, it's sort of trying to understand how these, and I have no better word to describe people like this, but monsters, right? Yeah. When he was um, verbally abusing you, did he do that when your mother was around or only do that when she wasn't around? No, he would have done that um, all the time. He would have done that around other family members, definitely around uh, my mom, neighbors, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, I put myself in that position now. And I think if I heard somebody speak to one of my stepkids like that, that they would be annihilated, right? But this was a different time. My mom was also being psychologically abused at that same time, right? She would have thought so little of herself, I'm assuming, at that mm -hmm. time, just like domestic abuse survivors yeah. are right and so in her mind i know from conversations that we've had she didn't marry him until i was 10 and so from 2 until 10 she really thought that he was treating me terribly and treating her terribly because she was refusing to get married again and so she thought if she just married him that would make everything better right there was always something that would make it better rather than having the strength and courage to be able to, to leave because that was the 80s, right? There, there was no support out there for single women, right? Like my, my mom has stories of having to go and ask her father for permission to divorce my biological father who was a, a raging alcoholic at the time. But she had to go and, and get his permission so that he would support her so that she could do that. And then to just find herself a couple years later in the arms of a man like this that she would see would be talking to me like that and talking to her like that, it, it, that it was not an option to leave. It would have felt like there wasn't an option to leave for somebody like herself. And for all the other family around, of course, now they beat themselves up over now that they know the extent of it and what kind of impact it had on me and my well-being. Of course, now they sit there and they feel terrible. But, you know, I say to them, you did not do this. He was the one and only he was the one responsible for this. And yes, you can tell yourself that you could have spoken out. You could have tried to help. But it was a different time back then. You know, it, people did not stand up to men at that time. Certainly not where I was, where I was from, right? You were lucky to have a man that would take you in and take on your child. Wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God the world has changed considerably since then. Honestly, right? I can't, I can't. Whew, okay, right. Let's talk about 
positive things now, yes, right? Yes, let's do it. Let's, let's, do, let's it. do positive things because, you know, I always feel that, you know, life is filled with so much, so much, you know, I can't even find the right words to explain everything bad that life is filled with. So <laughs> yeah. where, you know, I see life, one's life purpose is fulfilled when you can do something good or positive some for somebody else, even if it's only by not 0.1%. Because if you yes. imagine that someone's life is 100% bad, right? Mm-hmm. And you can only do something good for that person that's not 0.1%, it means their life is no longer 100% bad. It's only mm-hmm. 99.9%. Exactly. You've made a difference in somebody's life. Um, you know, so... Moving on, you know, it took you a really long time to, um, you know, to get to where, you know, to get to that point where all these psychological abuse no longer got to you as much as it did. Um, How did you then become, you know, this amazing coach? Ah, Well, that is a a really wonderful um, story of just letting things happen. So I didn't really, I definitely didn't have a plan to become a coach or a motivated um, speaker, motivational speaker. What I did is I, I really just wanted a platform to be able to have my voice heard. I wanted to come out as it were, as a survivor. I wanted to share my story. And I didn't really know what impact that that would have, but I thought, you know what, I'm just going to create a blog and I'm just going to post it on there. I'm going to be as open and honest as I can. And I got a, a great response from, from that with people wanting to know, how did you make the change, Lisa? How did you go from you know, being so self-deprecating to learning to love yourself? So then I started increasing the blog by writing about all the different techniques that, that worked for me and, and strategies and things like that. And then that led to people you know, getting in contact with me and saying, okay, that's all, all well and good, but I feel like I need like an actual structured game plan. So like, oh, I know what I can do. I can create a workshop. <laughs> so then I started running two hour long workshops called Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. So that we started working on these belief systems and whatnot. And then from there, people were, were saying, you know, this is amazing. This was having such impact on my life. But I feel like, you know, because it's two hours and it makes all great sense there, I'm too likely to walk away and just kind of slip back into my old habits. So I was like, right, I need some sort of program that's longer lasting than this. And so then I started doing my research. And next thing you know, I am a success coach. (laughs) Okay, so what do you do as a success coach? So I I basically offer a three-month program, um, which I call Survivor to Warrior. And uh, because I believe that, you know, we've all survived something like child abuse if, if we've survived it because we're alive right you you survive means you're still with us but it's not enough for me to to just be still alive right I want to have a life of meaning and value and purpose I want to feel good about myself I want to look in the mirror and put a smile on my face that's what it means to me to be a warrior because of what has happened so that's basically my program brings people through a very structured um, set of tasks to be able to tackle all of the experiences that they've had in the past what belief systems that that has ingrained in their brain because of those experiences 
and then how to actually rewrite the script and look for the evidence to actually prove or disprove whether or not those beliefs are correct and then start creating new habits to instill those new belief systems. Yeah. That's yeah. So how can people find out about, you know, this, your, um, your coaching business? Well, I've got a website called lifelikeyoumeanit.com. And on there, you can find, I've got two free webinars that I do. I really believe in offering things for free, um, you know, when I can. And so I've got a great webinar on there that's called Three Steps to Finding Personal Purpose After Abuse. And that's about 30 minutes. I've got another one that is called Three Steps to End Self-Sabotage. And that's 45 minutes. I've got the link in there for booking a call with me to see if the coaching is, you know, a right fit. And then I also have resources in there about a online course that I've developed called Overcoming Self-Sabotage as well, which you don't need to have survived something as great as abuse in order to be manifesting some self-sabotage. So, you know, people can still take a course like that, even if they can't relate and resonate to a story like mine. Okay, that's perfect. So just remind everyone again, what's the link to your website? www.lifelikeyoumeanit.com And your name? Lisa Sabaniak. Where is that from? So that is Ukrainian. <laughs> so I'm a Canadian with a Ukrainian father who now lives in England, married to a Swede. <laughs> that is quite a nice concoction. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? So my, my married last name is Gustafsson. <laughs> which is even harder to say than Sabaniak. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so when trying to figure out which name am I going to use for business, I was, I was like, maybe I should just hyphenate it and make it really horrible. <laughs> oh, please don't. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> but I decided to use Sabaniak because that was the name that I had during my 10 years of abuse. So I thought that that was really cathartic for me in, in my process to use that particular name as I break my silence. Yeah. Yeah. And the Phoenix was reborn. That's right. That's right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, sadly, you know, sometimes I have guests and I wish I could spend lots and lots of time mm -hmm. with them, but I have to sadly kick everyone out at some point. <laughs> could just keep talking forever. Couldn't we? I know, I know, but it's just got to that time where I have to kick you out. So any final words of wisdom? Well, first, I just want to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I know that it's a difficult subject to, to tackle, um, especially when it's, you know, dealing with children. But what I really want to get across to people is that there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you can resonate with any part of my story, then you do not have to suffer. And you certainly don't have to suffer alone. But there are people out there that can help. There are support groups that are out there that can help. If you've tried therapy, and that has not been helpful for you, then there are other means of support and help out there that just might be exactly what you are looking for. So true. And I just thought I should add, you know, that as a parent myself, you know, mm -hmm. I've got a little girl and, you know, every day I sometimes I feel like I should wrap her in a big bubble wrap. <laughs> Take away yes. the television, take away the internet, and just keep her there and just give her a cuddle and never, never let her out of my sight. 
But, yeah. you know, reality is I can't do that. She needs to also be able to test her wings, spread it out. Um, and something that, you know, I've done, you know, is I always say to her, whilst you're away from me at nursery, if mm -hmm. you're not happy about anything, make sure you tell a teacher. Yes. Then when we're coming back and we're walking back from nursery, I go, how is your day? I'm not perfect. Sometimes I think I'm failing at this mother, you know, this parent. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I ask myself, could I be doing something better? You know, yeah. and, you know, so I, I, I know I'm not perfect. And so I say to my daughter, you know, if there's something you're not happy about, make sure you tell me. And my daughter, she's got such a strong personality. And I acknowledge that not all children are like this. But, you know, it's like, I know that sometimes, you know, I get, you know, I get, you know, I get PMS, right? And mm -hmm. especially at nighttime, it's been, the daytime, you know, it's so, it's just filled with so much work, you know, trying to do till the end of the day. And then come nighttime, I'm really exhausted and I'm trying to get someone to bed and someone is looking for absolutely every reason under the sun <laughs> to not go to bed. And then you know, I end up like this crazy woman from the pits of hell. It's like, look, you need to get to bed now. You know? and then, oh yes my daughter then goes you know you don't need to shout and i'm like okay but you need to listen as well that's so, right so we, we sort of then have this you know dialogue where i say you know if you're not happy about something you make sure you tell me um and then yeah. we do the whole thing you know it's like you know i'm literally because i've got a, you know i know a lot of people and i think it took a lot of it took a lot for them to trust me to tell me what happened to them as children. So yeah. now, you know, I'm literally always going, don't let anybody touch your breast. Don't let anybody touch your bum bum. Don't let mm -hmm. anybody touch your girl bits. And I actually use the word vulva. And some people are like, no, you shouldn't do that. But I'm like, well, it is what it is. You know, that's she, right. she's a girl. If that's what the body part is called. So we need to, right. you know. So. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in, in calling our body parts, but they actually are you know so and i say you know that's it so you didn't shouldn't let anybody but you also should not do this you know you that's cannot right. go and touch someone that you cannot go and you know and you know so we sort of have that little sing song you know thing where you go you can't do this and then you know sort of like good behavior i'm like when so when we're walking i was like you remember the rose no hitting no kicking no pushing no biting no spitting no snatching yes nice. yes you know we do that and then when we're at home it's like remember don't touch anybody's breast. Don't touch anybody's bum bum. Don't touch anybody's vulva. And then you also, you shouldn't let anybody touch your breast, your bum bum, and your vulva. And I'm like, is that okay? Yes, mommy. Okay. Do you remember what the rules are? Yes. And I say, good. If something happens, what do you do? You scream and you shout, don't touch me there. And you run yeah. away. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's perfect. You know, I'm still learning, you know, I, I'm really scared, but then I will tell you, should I even say this? <laughs> so the first yes. time my daughter, you know, when we went to Nigeria and she saw her cousin, right? So he's a, he's a little boy, you know, he's only like a year and a bit older than her. Uh, right. You know, so it was bath time again, everyone, you know, they're all young. So they had a bath at the same time. Right. Um, so that was the first time I go like you're so willy. Oh. <laughs> was she like, what's that? <laughs> she was looking at it and she grabbed it and I was like, oh my God. So here goes all my teachings, right? How many times did I say don't touch? <laughs> She's like, but it's just there. What is it? <laughs> 
Oh gosh. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, that's so perfect. You're like, well, there goes all my teaching of don't do. Don't <laughs> we have this conversation? It's like, oh, is that what you meant? Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> it just goes to show how innocent they are, aren't they? They're just so sweet and innocent. You know, so I guess is you know, I think I, my parents, you know, they, oh, let's scratch that. My mother, she watched me and my siblings like a hawk, right? Like she yes. was really, you are not out of her sight. Like if someone comes and just looks at her children, you know, she would scream at you, right? She was like, yes. you know, so it's kind of like, so I have that whew, life, whatever it is, life is just hard. Um, but you know, I think one of the greatest thing that I've taken away from your story and, you know, the conversations that I've had with lots of other people is that, you know what, don't keep everything to yourself. That's right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I was, um, when I first came out with my, my blog, I know that we've got to go, so I'll make this really yes, quick. Yes. But <laughs> when I first, when I first came out with my, my blog, my coming out story, that was what really ended up motivating me the most was finding out that one of my closest and longest and dearest mm -hmm. friends had gone through the same thing. And there we had been as teenagers side by side, both going through our own version of hell because of what had happened to us many years earlier. But because of shame, we didn't speak up. We didn't say anything to each other about it. And we instead suffered in silence when you know we could have been there helping and supporting each other like we are now. But yeah. that that's my, my big mission with wanting to break my silence is to try to shed the stigma just like we're shedding the stigma about mental health yes. right? and mental illness i want to shed that stigma of being abused right so we can support each other definitely well you know everyone you know how to get in touch with lisa my inbox is always open my website is always open so please do feel free to drop me a line if you ever need to i am not an expert you know but i think i'm always open to share a kind word if you ever needed one lisa yes and thank thank you so much for this opportunity and if you need to get in touch with me directly then I'm sure that going through those routes will help or go directly to www.lifelikeyoumeanit.com. Fabulous. Until next time, everybody, it's the Shagilola Salami Show. Bye now.